0: Welcome to Getting Work to Work, a weekly podcast exploring the world of work and how creative entrepreneurs, storytellers, and rule breakers infuse their daily lives with creativity and curiosity. At the foundation of this episode are two important questions. First, how do you take in information and learn rapidly? And second, how do you improve and become better than you could ever imagine? Today's guest, Gerald J. Leonard, answers these questions through stories of his journey to become a professional bass player, an author publishing several books, and a project portfolio management guru. In this episode, he shares a technique known as photo reading, which is a process of quickly absorbing a book to increase retention and curiosity. We also talk about jazz as a model for business, authentically being yourself no matter the environment you're in, why surrounding yourself with experts is critical to your professional growth and how life is like a great song. Show notes for this episode can be found at GWTW.co 762. While you're there, you'll also find the entire podcast archive, links to the short documentary series and weekly newsletter, and the latest merch to show your love and support of the show.
1: What am I endlessly curious about? I want to say everything. <laughs> because if someone brings up an idea to me and they go, "Oh, this guy wrote a book." I'm like, "Oh wow, I'm 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 really interested in that." Mm-hmm. And here's here's one of the things that I've learned because of being curious is I I'm always looking for how do you assimilate taking information and learn mm-hmm. rapidly. And so one of my, one of my mentors and coaches, I mean, I believe in having a mentor and a coach in, in every significant area of your life. So I have a few of them taught me um, something that he created called photo reading. Hmm. And it's the ability, it's a process. It's not something that you just do once it's a process. And the process is uh, let's say you say, Hey, um, have you ever heard of fasciitis or have you ever heard of something? And I go, you know, I haven't really heard of that. I haven't really thought about that. And I'll, you know, and I'll go on the Amazon and I'll find a couple of books about it. And I'll, especially if they're Kindle books, I'll download them. I'll scan the books mm-hmm. and then I'll, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll say, okay, you know, what? I'm going to go ahead and photo read this and go through this process. I will then, you know, kind of do what we call a drop in. I'll put yourself in a state where, you're you're kind of like an alpha wave state, um meditative state. And then I'll just like then just kind of go through and flip through the book, literally just just not even trying to read each word, just kind of like like letting my non-conscious mind suck in all the data, all the information. Oh, wow. And you'll be amazed because we only we only are aware or see, let's say one percent of what's out there. Mm-hmm. The other, let's say 80 to 90 percent of what's out there escapes us, right? It escapes us because um, our non-conscious mind picks it up, but not our conscious mind. Well, our conscious mind can only handle so much. Mm-hmm. And so by doing that, I'm in, I'm uploading all this information into my non-conscious mind. Then I'll go through and I will look at the table of contents and I'll scan through the book and I'll pick out 20 words that are really interesting. Hmm. And I'll find seven or four of them that I'll turn into questions, that I really want to know about. And then I will then dig into the book and answer those questions. Oh, wow. but by the time I'm done, I've spent an hour analyzing this book, but I walked away with four or five nuggets of really good insights. Plus all of the things that I just scanned into my mind, as I'm talking about the book with someone, my brain starts to bring up all that stuff that I scanned in that I didn't know that, that my conscious mind wasn't aware of. And so It allows me by being so when you say being curious, if someone brings something to me now that that I'm curious about, I have this process that I've learned and I teach Mm -hmm. that is called photo reading. And it allows me to be able to assimilate and take in a lot of different information very quickly And, you know, either build a framework around it, build a process around it, write a book about it, talk about it on a podcast. (laughs) And so it's so it's made life a lot of fun um, Mm -hmm. because I'm not as overwhelmed with all the information that's coming at me because I've learned a pretty efficient process to take it in.
0: Yeah, I love that process, too, because oftentimes with curiosity, if you're not careful, it can be incredibly overwhelming. And and yes. having a system like that can help with that overwhelm, it sounds like.
1: Exactly. Because, because if nothing else, I can quickly find a book, scan through the book, flip through it, get a good idea what the book is about, read a couple of things. Because I'm not going to read it word for word, because here's the thing. Most books that we have, if we listen to them or if we read them word for word, how much of it do you really remember? <laughs>
0: right. <laughs> Maybe like 2%. 10%. Ten
1: percent, two percent, five percent, depending, <laughs> yeah. right? And then after and then and then because you really haven't engaged with the book, within a week or two, you don't even remember what you read. You gotta go back and pick up the book again. But by doing this process, and and here's the I think the clicker is of the kicker is asking questions of the author mm. and writing down those questions. Now my brain is engaged and now I'm going into the book with a purpose. Mm-hmm. And by writing down that that answer or uh, the question and then writing down the answers, it's allowing me to route right now kind of embed that into my my neurology, if you will. And so I walk away having a better retention of a book that I just photo-read for a couple of minutes and went through my process with than somebody who took five hours to read the book <laughs> and a week later don't remember anything.
0: Right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and two, it, what it says is if you don't answer the questions that you write down, that's an even bigger indicator that something is wrong with that book. And it's exactly, it, and it's a good indicator of how you can actually bring photo reading, not only in reading a book, but in your creative process as well.
1: Exactly, exactly. And so I use it all the time. Yeah. I use it all the time as I'm as I'm reading through the newspaper, as I'm reading books, as I'm scanning an email, because mm. um, I'll scan it and go, oh, what is that about? Okay, that's mm-hmm. a good question. I, and I'll send back one or two questions that I want to know more about. And, you know, the person probably thought I sat there and really studied their email. No, I just, I scanned <laughs> it. I pulled out information. I found the two or three things that I really want to know about, and that's what I hone in on.
0: Yeah. Uh, What I love about that too is, is I get asked a lot, like, how do you know what you're going to talk with someone about? And I'm doing the same thing. Like I'm looking for those trigger words. I'm looking for those things that spark something in my brain going, Ooh, I want to know more about that. And and I think that what you said about our unconscious mind is so powerful. Like we don't know what's cooking under the hood. Uh, yes. until, until we get those moments of aha or inspiration.
1: Exactly. Exactly. A-
0: another thing that came up, Gerald, was it kind of reminded me of sight reading in a way where you pop yeah. down music in front of you and, and you just start working through it. Exactly.
1: And, and, you know, sight reading is it's, it's, and what's interesting about sight reading is, and why it's so important it's sight reading is basically like reading a book right mm-hmm. because you're reading a book that you've never read before so you're kind of looking at the words and you get comfortable re- reading the words and so the idea of sight reading is that you're identifying patterns of notes mm-hmm. and structures right and you know whether it's an, an um, eighth notes or you know or quarter notes where it's on the beat Right. And eighth mm-hmm. notes is every two beats, you know, two, two, two beats per per measure or, or per um, per beat or a triplet or, or, you know, different things around music that, that go on. And so when you see that structure, you know what the rhythm is going to sound like. And then you then you cut your eyes pick up on well, where do those notes land on the staff. Is it a bass mm-hmm. staff? Is it a treble staff? You know, what key is it in? Is it sharps <laughs> and flats? And you learn it's amazing how the brain learns all that information and processes it. And here's what was really interesting for me being trained as a musician and being trained in sight reading, right? Mm-hmm. Was when I switched careers and got into IT um, and started working on computers and IT and, and coding, I realized that it, the same logic mm-hmm. of reading music was already embedded in that that, that network of, of, of logic had already been created. And so I was able to grow in it just as quickly as I grew in music, because it felt like picking up another instrument more than learning a whole new thing. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, you know, so one of my pet thieves is is always that um, the last thing they should take out of school is music. Mm -hmm. And usually that's the first thing they want to take out of school. Right. And for one, the kids have fun doing it. So they're Mm -hmm. going to be engaged Two it develops parts of the brain that other uh, academic subjects cannot develop, mm-hmm. right? And if, you, especially if you have someone that really wants to be really good at math and they're good at math, let them do music because it's all mathematical, you know, counting the measures, looking at the notes, the context, all of that, it seems ethereal and it seems like it's a waste of time, but it's creating structures in the brain that they can leverage later on in life to be computer experts or Mm -hmm. to be mathematicians or to be philosophers or scientists because you know at one time those were the liberal arts that were really really required and they were required because they make us a whole person right they make us a whole person more than just oh can he read and write and can he do a little bit of math and but they're struggling so that, so they actually come out half of a person mm-hmm. because there's this other part of their brain that does not get developed without some form of music or arts or things like that so that's my two cents <laughs> i
0: love your two cents <laughs> let's keep going till you get me a dollar <laughs> there we go <laughs>
1: right, we got 98 cents to go here that's we go right.
0: <laughs> but you know one of the things like i i love music as well and and i've been playing music, music since I was a kid. And so I'm right there with you in terms of what it can do for you. But I think it teaches you how to listen as well. Like, yes, it does. How to, how to listen to yourself and listen to others.
1: Yeah. And and you really listen differently. So, so my first experience of music and, um, I know you know, I think our our, our conversation is just going to be recorded, but if you had the visual, you would see behind me a red guitar on a bookshelf, hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And that little red guitar was my sister's when I was nine. It was mine when I was 10. <laughs> 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 and so I stole it from her. Uh, she let me nice. have it, but she also <laughs> let me have it, you know, <laughs> for, for taking her guitar. And, you know, she really didn't want to play it. I fell in love with the little thing and I would just play and, you know, I'd learn how to, I would listen to the radio and I would find the notes and Mm -hmm. then I would kind of like, and over time I figured out, okay, you know, I can, I can do this thing. I can play this and I could, and so I learned the guitar it's kind of self-taught in the beginning by just listening to the radio and picking out tunes and finding the notes where they were on the guitar. And then I had a friend that was a really good guitar player. He taught me some stuff and then we started decided to start a band and he was a really good guitar player. And I thought, oh, I'm not gonna be able to play guitar. So I switched to bass um, because he had guitar sewed up. He could play guitar for th- two or three people. And, uh and then I listen to the bass and then I'm learning about the structure of the song and mm-hmm. and at the time where I grew up in Lakeland, Florida, which is in the U.S United States on the Eastern shore or East Coast, I they created what's called the Lakeland Civic Center. Mm-hmm. And as a kid, I could buy a ticket for fifteen dollars or twenty dollars, right do some lawn work or whatever and go see Earth Wind and Fire. Yeah. Go see the Commodores, go see the Brothers Johnsons, go see some amazing musicians and a kid. You know, I'm not sitting in my seat. I'm standing on the side of the stage. I'm looking <laughs> at, you know, what what base did they have? What equipment right. do they have? What car are they getting out of? You know, what are they wearing? You know, how are they interacting? So we were we kind of like we're able to kind of maneuver ourselves and get on the side <laughs> of the stage and kind of figure stuff out. And I would go back home and grab my bass mm-hmm. and I would stay up to two or three o'clock in the morning, have some headphones and I would just try to play what they were playing. But then I would listen to their music and then I would go, okay, so he's playing, oh, he's doing this, oh, he does this with his thumb. And so pretty soon listening got me to the point that I could play pretty well mm-hmm. before I even learned how to read music.
0: Yeah, wow.
1: Now think about that. Yeah. That's how we, that's how we develop as children. Mm-hmm. Right as kids we get around experts and we have conversations Now we may not be contributing too much of the conversation and we're trying to figure out the forming other words, but what are we what are we doing? We're hearing our parents and our other older siblings speak to us mm-hmm. and over time dad dad becomes daddy yeah. Right. And so we, we, you know, we, we make mistakes, we follow around, we stumble, we, you know, we say things funny and and they don't laugh at us and they don't say it's wrong. They just keep talking to us. Mm -hmm. And pretty soon we learn the correct grammar. We, and then it's finally when we're, you know, four or five years old, we go to kindergarten or first, you know, go to kindergarten or, or, or preschool that we start learning this thing called an alphabet and the, the verbiage, but we've already learned how to have a conversation. We've already learned, you know, syntax and grammar. We just don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of music is the same way. And by learning to listen that way, as I've gotten older, I also know that if I hear someone talking and I'm listening, I not only hear what you're saying, I'm hearing that emotion behind it. Yes. I'm hearing, you know, was it like I'm, I'm really upset or I'm really, you know, I mean, you know what I mean? You could, yeah. you know, and, and if we tune in, anyone can do this. It's not just for musicians, but anyone can do this. But I do know that most musicians have an acute ear for listening because they've spent most of their life listening. Mm-hmm. And and because and, they're listening to, okay, how is he playing that? Is he using a short vibrato? Is he using a long, wide vibrato? Is he playing it on a lighter string or a heavier string? Same note, but you can play the same note on multiple strings and get a different tone or a different mm-hmm. feel. So de- depending on the type of music and what you're trying to express, you may want to play that same note on heavier strings or you may want to play it on lighter strings depending on on what you're trying to convey. And so by being able to listen at that level, you start hearing things that if you weren't listening, you wouldn't pick up. But by listening, you also know where people are coming from. Mm -hmm. And you can start addressing the real issues. Because sometimes not everybody, whatever they're saying is not exactly what they're saying, if you know what I mean. (laughs) Right? Right. They're like, ah, I don't like that. Well, okay, (laughs) it's more than you don't like that. There's, okay, why? And they may like it, but it's like they don't like it because it's not this way or that way or something. Mm-hmm. But if you are if you don't lean in, and I think that's one of the things that I, I love about being a musician, is that when I'm working with other musicians or I'm having that conversation, because of the training, I want to lean in and I want to hear, I really want to hear where you're coming from, because then I know how to respond mm-hmm. and not just react to what you're yeah. doing.
0: Well, and I think one of the important things that you, you've mentioned is this ability to listen, which leads to feeling what's going on. Like you have a sense of the, the rhythm and the emotion going on. But then what you just said there at the end about leaning in, I think that's a form of focusing where you're yes. able to like shut out the world and really lean in and listen.
1: Right. Right. And that's important because, you know, again, you can do it in business and you can do it in other areas, but especially as a musician, when you're playing with other musicians, you want to know, and especially when you're playing jazz, right? Because, Mm -hmm. you know, when you're playing classical music or you're playing something else, music is just kind of moving on and um, it's kind of all written and you know where the person's going. Mm -hmm. When you're playing jazz, you play the melody and then, different musicians will take turns interpreting the music. Hmm. So you really have to lean in and go, where is this guy going? Right? <laughs> we know what the chart says and we know the chord structure, but what is he trying to do with it? What is what is his interpretation of the song and so on? Hmm. And so you really want to kind of, you know, again, lean in to really understand and really digest what what somebody's going because you want to understand where they're going with it. And how can you support them? as you're going down this road together.
0: Yeah. What a fantastic model for business too, because I think you can, you can buy some sheet music at the store or a book that's going to give you the path to success. uh, And you can follow that, or you can create a jazz relationship with your your employees and be able to, to really, you know, bring out that improvisation, that interpretation. And, and I think, you know, I think that's the exciting thing about business is that you can bring those principles of music and performance into it as well.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And, if, and it's funny because I don't hide the fact that I'm a, I'm a professional musician, And someone who's very much involved in the arts with my clients, Mm -hmm. I think they like that even more so. And sometimes I'll get a phone call from a client and I'm thinking, okay, well, they want to talk about business. They go like, you know, my son is getting ready to do this thing with music, (laughs) or my daughter's getting ready, or I'm thinking about doing this. What what are your thoughts? Mm -hmm. And it's like, wow, it's like because I'm I'm real about that part of my life. Our our business relationship has gone to another level of just being a relationship, a personal relationship, where mm-hmm. and so we like working together, but we also like just having a conversation about life. Mm-hmm. And to me, because if you think about it, how many hours a day are you at work? Yeah. A lot. Right? We spend a lot of time at work. We spend a lot of time with our colleagues. And if we're compartmental our lives you know we kind of feel fragmented mm-hmm. because we're kind of one place one way at work and we're a different way with our friends and we're a different way at home and it's like okay well who you know who are you and who and so on when you can just authentically be yourself and share your passions and your joys and and who you are then you're the same way at work and at home and with your friends and wherever else you are you, you don't have to figure out who I have to be you just be yourself yeah.
0: did you ever struggle with that compartmentalization?
1: I think at one time I did because you know um as I was getting into the business world it was like well how how much should I talk about the other stuff that I'm doing right mm-hmm. but but here's the thing i I don't think the struggle was took a long time and here's why because i I've been playing since I was was 10 years old i'm sixty one Right, I've been playing for fifty-one years, and so pretty much all of my life, I've related so much of my life to what I learned as a mm. kid playing music.
0: Yeah,
1: right. Just the just the things in, in life, and so people would say, "Well, how do you how did you learn that so fast? Well? I was like, "Well, I kind of did what I did when I started learning music." <laughs> well, what do you mean? Well, you know, first you pick it up and you practice. Yeah, you figure out what you're good at, what you're not good at. You go out and find a manual that, you know, are books about that topic. And then, you know, you kind of struggle through that a little bit. You go to some classes or a webinar or look at some YouTube. And then you go find a coach, somebody who's doing what you want to do and they're really good at it, who can, and you want to pay them to give you feedback to tell you how to get better. Mm hmm. And so you take that little formula, which is how you start, how do you become proficient in music? And that's just basically what I just gave you, right? Right. And and then you take that formula and apply it to writing, Mm. apply it to golf, apply it to being a CEO. Literally, I mean, think about it. Okay, Mm. I want to be a CEO of a company or I want to create a startup. I want to be an entrepreneur. Okay, I start doing it, do something around it. I read books on it, I go to webinars, I take classes, I look at YouTube, and then I find groups where there are other entrepreneurs who are being successful, and I go hang out with them, and we have conversations. And not only do I get taught, but I catch, Mm -hmm. I, I, I find myself catching a lot of what happens because a lot of things in life can be taught, but a lot more can be caught.
0: Ooh, I love that,
1: right? Ooh. Because because if we're if we're if we're around a group of experts, like um, when I got into the, the Microsoft Project world, mm-hmm. I became a Microsoft Project expert. Where not only did I pass the certifications, but I led a. I was the president of the Microsoft Project Music Group for nine years, and this is again all the while playing music and doing stuff. And then you know the the actual application, the Microsoft app, it's a very difficult application to learn. Um, a lot of people say eh, it has a scheduling engine. No, Microsoft Project has five scheduling engines. Oh, and it wow. has these 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 multiple ways to configure things. And there's all of these different parameters and and, and things that need to happen. How do you know all of this stuff? Well, because I, mm-hmm. being a part of the Microsoft Project user group and going to the meetings and meeting other experts and reading the books and going to the webinars and having conversations about it, I learned more from being around those situations than just from reading the books yeah. by myself. And so I became one of the go-to project management experts on the East Coast around Microsoft Project and with Microsoft because I I used the same formula that I did when I stole my little sister's guitar or my older sister's guitar <laughs> right. and, le- and learn how to play, you know, practice, get, get a mentor, and get, you know, just get, just get going. <laughs> yeah. What
0: what I heard in that too is like you know what we what you said earlier about going to the civic center and seeing all these bands, like you could buy a book and learn project, just like you can buy a a bass and start plucking notes. Right. But then you know the bass player for Earth, Wind, and Fire and the Commodores is going. Are there two different bass players with two different interpretations of a note? Just exactly. like the people in the user groups, those are all going to have different interpretations of those five scheduling engines.
1: Exactly. You know, like writing my books, you know, I've written three books, Cultures, the Bass, Workplace, Jazz, and Symphony of Choices. I'm working on my fourth book, uh, Productivity Smarts, and it's about legendary musicians. Mm-hmm. How did I get better to the point where my first book was self-published? My second book, I ended up with a literary agent, and Business Expert Press published that book. Then I I go to a workshop, meet someone who introduced me to a publisher, and my third book gets published by John Wiley. Wow. Like, like, you know, that's a, that's a huge, really up ramp trajectory in a short period of time. Well, again, you know, after I wrote my first book, I hired a coach and then I saw a program that Jack Canfield had with a gentleman named Steve Harrison called bestseller blueprint. I purchased that program. I went through it. Then he made me an offer to come to his program called quantum leap, where you're around all these other, mm. um, writers and then Two or three times a year, Jack Canfield comes in and tells us <laughs> how he wrote chicken soup and 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 how he marketed it and all yeah. the different secrets. And so being around the community of, of, of folks, I met my literary agent. We, we, wow. we met at one of the meetings, and he's like, hey, send me the, send me, send me a couple of the uh, uh chapters of the next book you're working on. I sent it to him. He goes, I like it. I want to sign you up. He was working with, this guy was working with Jim Collins. Wow. And so, again, by just, you know, getting started, Mm -hmm. finding that group to be around, finding the experts who know the industry already. Again, you can see that little pattern, right? Of that 10-year-old playing music, trying to figure it out (laughs) and figure it out. Well, these are the things you have to do to get good and to really move yourself forward. Well, I did that. so, So you take any area of my life. And that's the pattern I use. Mm. You get started. You put yourself out there. You find a mentor, a coach, or a teacher. You pay them. You read the books. You find a community. You find an expert that really knows what they're talking about, has a track record. You go to their workshops. You go to seminars. Next thing you know, you're taking a picture of them. Next thing you know, you're being interviewed by them. Next thing you know, you're being mentored by them and all those things can happen for anyone if they follow and it's a very simple formula
0: so one of the things that i'm curious about in that journey though of learn you know learning something practicing it finding people how did you train yourself to let your ego get out of the way
1: you know um i think when i first started playing music I remember and I'm trying to remember the story of how of how I'm seeing it in my head cuz you know sometimes we we make up mm-hmm. stuff as we're trying to remember what we what we talked about <laughs> but the long st- the long and short of it was I remember meeting some older gentlemen who were musicians mm-hmm. right they had gray hair they probably were granddads, but they were really good musicians mm-hmm. and they were playing at a hotel, I think it was either playing at a hotel or playing at playing somewhere in the area where I grew up, and I had a chance to talk to them, and it wasn't what they said. it was just being around them and thinking, you know when i when I get old, you know, and I get gray hair, I want to be like those guys because they're still they're still learning, they're still hmm. growing, they're still. Excited about life and and looking forward to getting up and you know playing music together and doing things and so and 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 again as being around other experts who are much better and much further along, you're still realizing that they still practice, they hmm. still are learning, they still are figuring it out. Uh, I just had I, I was just having someone tune my um, my piano at the house. And he had been a piano technician for Chick Corea. Oh, wow. And so Chick Corea is like one of the most phenomenal musicians out there. He's passed away. But he knew Chick when he was 60. He knew Chick when he was 80. Hmm. And Chick was still playing phenomenally. And Chick was still practicing. This guy's performed all over the world. You know, Grammy Awards, just phenomenal musician. But he was still practicing piano. Up to the point where, before he passed away, wow. he was still learning. He yeah. was still going. There's more for me to learn and develop and grow in. So he was still growing, even uh, even as his body was dying. He was still growing because our brains can will still develop even into our old age. And so I think it wasn't something that someone told me. It was just the idea that no matter how much you learn, there's still more to learn.
0: Yes.
1: And but you can't learn it if your ego's in the way
0: mm-hmm. or
1: if you think you know it all. And so sometimes I may go to a business workshop or take a class or read a book and go like, okay, I know about 95% of what they just talked about, but it was that five percent that I didn't know mm-hmm. that was like, ooh that if i just tweak this and add that to my repertoire oh wow that's that's going to give me a 50% increase in productivity or a you know 30% increase in my output because i learned that one little small nugget of a way of doing things different and 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 that's really what separates you know to me experts Because it's not an expert to me is not someone who's full of ego and because he knows it all. It's he's an expert because he's still on the journey. Hmm. And there's so many ways of fine tuning it with, with with what you learn. And so that's what I loved about music. As I'm getting older, and now I have gray hair, is that I'm still learning. Yeah, <laughs> I'm still. I still get to practice. I still get to learn. I still get to meet other musicians that teach me things that are younger than me. Yeah, um, that I can learn from, and uh, it makes life exciting.
0: Absolutely. What I love about that too is is creativity changes as we get older. Yeah, but it doesn't mean that it ends or it you know, stops for us, we just, we have to find how it changes for us and keep growing and chasing things.
1: Right. And one of the best ways to be creative is to learn about other industries or other things. Mm. So in other words, let's say, you know, you're, 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 you are a writer, right. And you are writing books on, um, Let's say you're writing business books on on HR or whatever, and you're adding different little things to it. And then you start taking a cooking class. (laughs) And in the cooking class, you're learning all about these different recipes. You know, the creativity comes in when you start seeing the connection of how can I leverage this information I just learned about cooking? into my HR processes about creating recipes of success. Mm. Or maybe I, you know, went and, you know, had to send, ship some packages at FedEx and you decided, you know, what, I'm going to read a couple of books about FedEx and how they got started. Oh, wow. They did a hub and spoke process and so on. And wow. Okay. So now I'm going to take what I learned about FedEx and this hub and spoke process with, the lessons I got from my cooking class with the HR from information that I already know. And now I'm going to integrate those together. Wow. I just created a new framework around how to create a hub and spoke HR process recipe. <laughs> I mean, so, so it, it can go on, right? But it, it it really depends on how curious you are as a person and how open you are to continually growing and learning and not getting to the point where, oh, I know this already. I've been there, done that, I have the degree, mm-hmm. blah, 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 blah. I'm um, I'm good. Well, once you've done that, you're you're pretty much, you know, you, you're coasting now. And the only way the, the only way to coast is to go downhill. Mm. And so, you know, if you're coasting, you're 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 sliding backwards. Yeah. And so to me, it's all about constantly learning and then learning. You know, adding something new and adding something, reading about an industry that I had no, I knew nothing about, or reading about a philosophy I knew nothing about, and then seeing their from their perspective. Travel, I love tra- I love international travel because um, when you travel, you see how other people live, mm-hmm. right? And I think you know one of the challenges we have in in the world not just in our country, but in the world, is that when we see people who look different than us or, or think different than us, we, we, we prejudge them, right? We're, we prejud- we're prejudiced, or we prejudge. And again, that cuts off your growth. Mm-hmm. Because instead of prejudging, if you went in and said, okay, I want to understand why do they why why do they do this this way in Italy or why do they do this that way in Spain or Mexico or why do they do this that way in Singapore and you understand what they're doing and who they are now you you've just opened yourself up mm-hmm. to a whole a whole new perspective of life and to me that's the beauty of life is you get to it's this ever evolving thing that you can be exposed to if you're willing
0: yeah I love that. when when you were talking about coasting, yeah, w- what came into mind was the idea of burnout. Yeah. And you know, is is burnout one of those things that can be caused from a coasting mentality where I've arrived. i I know it all. and so you you create those conditions that don't allow you to, um, keep the fire lit. Yeah.
1: And so burnout can come from that burnout can come, can also come from just working too much. Mm. Right. Um, I teach something, uh, on one of my podcasts, productivity smarts. I teach about the, the Pomodoro technique Mm -hmm. and that's working in small increments. But the most important thing is to take breaks in the middle of that. Right, take breaks as you're. You do a 25 minute promodural activity where you're focused on writing something or, or just kind of heads down working on a project, and then you do it for 25 minutes. The alarm goes off. You take a break. Go do some laundry. Go run an errand. Go talk to somebody in another room. Go, you know, go downstairs and grab a cup of coffee. Just do something different mm-hmm. for five or ten minutes, and then come back to it it's kind of like refreshing the brain. It's kind of like giving your brain a reboot yeah. where it clears out the memory, it flushes the cache, <laughs> saves everything to the hard drive. And now you come back into it and you're so much more fresher, yeah. right? And so that's a that's a way of dealing with burnout. Another way is, you know, again, we think productivity is our people need to be busy 100% of the time. Well, that's kind of like running your car on red, like, you know, just kind of running the car to the engine's, like the engine itself is on red, you know, you do that. I mean, you might be able to do that for like a minute or two, but if you do it for hours, you're going to burn the the motor out. You're going to, you're mm-hmm. going to warp it. You're going to destroy it. And and that's what happens to us emotionally and mentally when we work to the point that we're just exhausted. Yeah. And so by having these various things in our lives that gives us, you know, joy or pleasure, and also having times where we just go somewhere and get quiet, meditate, take a walk in the woods, you know, go do a sporting activity, uh, something that gives the brain a break and let your non-conscious mind process all that's been going on. It really can help with the burnout and and feeling burnout. But burnout can also be caused when you're bored Mm. because you're just, you know, you're burnout because you're You're like, okay, this was exciting to me. I enjoyed it. Now I'm bored. Mm -hmm. And you're bored because you've reached the level, you're you're plateauing, and you need to inject new insights, new understanding, or a different perspective. Mm Mm-hmm. Right, kind of like that creativity thing that I was talking about, where you know you're HR, but now you went and took a cooking class, and now you're doing that FedEx, and you're doing some research. Well, you're going to come away from that pretty excited because now you've got the new perspective on what you're mm-hmm. doing, and it's added a new flavor to what you're doing. But if you don't have that, and you haven't learned a more efficient way of doing it, it's just, it's the same old, same old. Mm-hmm. Another you know uh, another day that will make the donuts, right?
0: Yeah. What what came to mind, too, is is just like, life is like a really good song. It has structure, and it has dynamics.
1: Yes. And, and it has structure, it has dynamics, it has a beginning, and it has an end. But it also has a climax. And it also has points where it makes you stop and think, and it makes you weep. And so, you know, you kind of have to, you know, life's that, it's like, it's like a symphony, it's like a, it's this journey of a song that that you have to embrace and again if you if you don't embrace it and you don't bring it all in and you only are just interested in one part of it then you become pretty stale and one-sided and it's not the whole you know the whole pie, and it's, it, it becomes a very uninteresting song as well.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, you mentioned symphony, and I love the idea of your third book of the symphony of choices. Yes. Uh, would you mind giving a quick flavor of of that book and and what the symphony of choices means?
1: Sure. So think about, um, I don't know if you've ever seen, um, uh, the story, um, Ted Lasso on Apple TV. Mm-hmm. Symphony of Choices is basically Ted Lasso for productivity nice. and, and decision-making and project management, and workplace engagement, because it's about a bassist who becomes the orchestra manager. And, you know, he's been a bassist for twenty 20 plus years. And now he has to go back and remember all of the lessons he learned about running a company, because a symphony is a company. It's an organization. And so he goes and he finds an old professor who uh, taught a lot of these principles that he's going to be learning. And they decide to meet for coffee. And he would give him, uh, since he's a symphony uh, orchestra manager now, he can get him season tickets. Mm -hmm. So he got him season tickets to come to the symphony. and, and, And in return, he would be taught all these principles about you know, project management, decision-making, and workplace engagement. And as he's going along, he's getting these micro lessons from him and he's dealing with life. He's dealing with you know the conductor, he's dealing with his boss, the, the orchestra executive, and the board. But he's also dealing with his wife who doesn't really understand what he's doing. He has a teenage daughter, he has a young son. So just like us, he had a multifaceted life and a lot of stuff happened, lots going on. He had his personal injury. He had some other stuff happening. And as he's going through this and learning all these lessons, he's just applying what he's learning, adopting, having these conversations. And you're literally sitting on the side of him as you're reading the book. Mm-hmm. And you are experiencing this with him. And he figures out how to make it all work through all the chaos. Yeah, And it's the same thing that we go through every day, right, as human beings. Mm-hmm. And I wrote it that way because... The principles of the book, I really wanted folks to have to be be able to access them. And to me, the best way to have something that's accessible is through stories. Mm -hmm. That's why Hollywood and the movie industry is is a bazillion dollar industry, (laughs) it's because we love stories. We love stories as human beings. We love, you know, being able to, you know, watch the villain and watch the different things and watch the story unfold, and we begin to live through that story as we're watching the story. And so what's what's the best way to teach, in fact, complex information is through a story. And one of my favorite books that I learned this from is called uh, The Goal. A gentleman's name is Elliot Golrad. He was a physicist from Israel, Mm. and he wrote a book about something called The Theory of Constraints. Talk about a a, a, a head a, a head scratcher and a, a book that if you just read the book Theory of Constraints, it's like okay, don't take Xanax, don't take a sleeping pill, just read this book and by the <laughs> second page you're out, right? But he wrote it as a story, mm. and so you're learning about Alex and all the challenges that he went through in his marriage and his sons in camping and all the so you learn about all these characters. And now you're like, I can't put 30 constraints down. I can't put this book down because I'm learning so much. And it's because of how it was written as as a story. And we love stories.
0: Yeah. Well, and I imagine, too, as a writer, you know, the journey of your writing career, you can easily find a pattern and do that pattern over and over again, book after book. This had to have been a nice reset of your process to go from writing a traditional nonfiction book to a story-based fi- uh, you know, business book.
1: It was to a certain extent. And, and again, I, I if I go back to my initial framework is, you know, hey, if you're going to do something, you get into it, you jump in, you figure out processes, and you find a coach or you find someone mm. who can guide you. So yeah. I found someone who's a really good nonfiction coach writer to okay. coach me through this process. So he was able to to allow me to use the framework that I'm used to using and embed a nonfiction storytelling framework on top of that. So now again, from a creative, it's like, why is that book so creative? Well, one, this is not just my brain that I'm using to, build, to write this book. I'm leveraging a team of, of experts and people who are experts at uh, you know what's the best title and subtitle? What's the best book cover design and book color? Mm-hmm. What is the best way to shape the story so that people are engaged? I got my PR firm engaged because they are going to sell. They're going to help me sell the book or at least market mm-hmm. the book. And they were like, "Novel books don't do well." It's like, "Well, why? Well, because they're stories and people want to know what the business stuff is." So at the end of each chapter, you will find lessons from Dr. Richardson. Who, who's in the book. And you'll find the lessons of what he's telling Jerry. And at the end of the book, you'll find a synopsis of everything that he taught. You'll find a implementation plan for what he taught. So if you wanted to, you could skim through the book, look <laughs> at the last sections of each chapter, read that, read the last two chapters of the book, and you got the business concept.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But guess what? You've missed the story. Yeah, You've missed, you've missed the journey. And so by adding, taking something that couldn't sell too well and then adding the elements that would get people to stop and go, oh, I can still get what I need from this, then it changes the game, yes. right? And that's why I only talked to two publishers and John Wiley said, oh, that's what this book is about? We want it. We'll we'll, we'll we'll give you a contract for it. And so, again, having, you know, many advisors, but also mm-hmm. advisors who are experts in their field who have experience doing what they're talking about that they do.
0: Yeah. I I'm curious about something, Gerald. Do you Sure. Do you just take things as they come in or do you have like a vision for, you know, what's next in terms of your curiosities and and the path in your life forward cuz you know when you went from professional musician to getting into IT you know are you a, are you calculated or is there a flexibility there on what you choose to do next
1: it's both i mean i think i think there's parts of me that are calculated and that tries to look around the corner and go what's coming up mm-hmm. and but at the same time i'm flexible enough to go you know, I know what I'm trying to do, but this is not working. Well, what is working? Let's step back and look. And you and you know what's working is when you look in your you look in your calendar and you look at your checkbook, <laughs> right? <laughs> and you go, okay, what's filling up my calendar? Uh, you know, what clients are filling up my calendar, and who's paying for what I'm doing? Mm-hmm. And what are they paying for? And then you go, well, I'm trying to sell this thing, but I have no appointments for that thing, and nobody's buying it. This other thing that I'm doing that I'm not trying to sell, everybody's buying it, and I got money in my account that got paid for doing that thing. Well, that's a you know, big red light that says that's what's working. <laughs> yeah. Do more of that and figure out how to make it fun and engaging. So I think you know, life has a way of kind of making you know, what you're trying to do really clear. I do believe you do have to have a strategy, a plan, mm-hmm. um, a goal. Um, But at the same time, I believe you have to be flexible enough and open enough to see and think about what's working, what's not working. I think of the story of Intel. Intel was a D-chip manufacturer, a DRAM chip manufacturer, and they got started becoming um, outpaced by a company in Taiwan. Hmm. And they were looking at the books going, man, we're getting beat over here in this one area in this DRAM chip area, but we still have a company because we're making money. So they they did what I just said. They went back and looked at their calendar and looked at their their, their books. And they realized that their salespeople were spending more time with people were asking about Intel chips. And guess where they were making their money? In Intel <laughs> chips. So they walked out the door and they said, we were a DRAM chip company. They walked back in and says, we're now Intel, the computer chip company. And that was the end of the story and everyone's computer now has Intel chips in it. So, so it, it's, it's kind of a story that that lays out the fact that you have to be flexible and you have to be willing to, you know, again, have a plan, have a strategy, but also be open to what's working and what people are telling you because, because life and people will tell you what's working Yeah. by their response.
0: Absolutely. Well, this has been a fantastic conversation and you've shared so many like insightful moments throughout. Is there a bit of wisdom you'd like to leave with?
1: I would say if you're pursuing a goal, uh, one of the most valuable things I've ever learned. And um, and after I went through, you know, I didn't even get a chance to tell you my vertigo story and some other things. So we have to maybe have another conversation here. But it was writing out my goals. Mm-hmm. And literally what I mean is, Either take a notebook and a pencil or pen, and then every day you take your number one goal or your number two or three goals, and you write them down, but you write them as an affirmation. Hmm. I'm so happy and grateful that I am now... You know, writing books and doing this and doing that, and people are paying me and I'm doing this. Or I'm so happy and grateful that my relationship with my wife or my spouse or my significant other is doing this or that. I'm so happy and grateful that I am blah, blah, blah. And so by doing that on a daily basis, and then once you write it down, you pause, mm-hmm. you close your eyes, and then for two minutes, just see yourself living what you wrote. Mm. Just see yourself living what you wrote and then let it go. The next day, do it again. If it takes two minutes, if it takes five minutes, depending, or if it takes 30 minutes, depending on how many goals you have, do that exercise because then every day you're programming your brain. You're literally moving the neurons in your brain to fire closer about what you're looking for. You're actually reprogramming your reticular activating system so that now you start noticing everything in your life that's related to your goal. It's like mm-hmm. when you go out and buy that blue car and then <laughs> yeah. you, pull, you, you pull out of the parking lot and you notice that everybody else has a blue car. You're like, where do these blue cars come from? <laughs> Everybody's got the same freaking car. I, I just, what, what happened? Well, it was always there. You just didn't see it. Mm-hmm. And so our reticular activating system filters out everything that's not important To you, it filters out everything that's not important. So, if something's important to you, by writing it out by hand and meditating on it just a little bit every day, you just told your brain it's important. You just programmed your reticular activating system. You just move the neurons in your brain closer together, and neurons that are that wired together are fired together, Hmm. are fired together, wired together. And you start seeing the resources, the people, the books, the this, the that, everything that's going to help you achieve your goal. And your goals will start coming to you faster.
0: Beautiful. Well, the final question I have for you is this. Normally, I'll okay. say what book podcast or resources is blowing your mind right now. But uh, is there a bass player or a song that's blowing your mind right now?
1: You know, lately I've been listening to a lot more Marcus Miller. I just I have to give him props. I'm um, I'm 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 the kind of bassist that I don't normally will pick one bass player over next one another one because I really do like, you know, anyone who plays the bass and decides that that's what they want to do, and they become proficient at it. I will admire them for what they've done, um, and so I try not to do too much ranking. But I've I've really been um, kind of studying him lately, mm. and, and 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 not just because he's a really good bass player, but he's an amazing historian.
0: Mm.
1: He worked with Miles Davis, and 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 helping Miles create more modern music, and, and 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 get to a different level in his in his in his own music from the standpoint that Marcus wrote. Uh, some of the some of the albums that Miles did later on in his life, he helped with the rebirth of Aretha Franklin when she came out with the with her uh, album after being away from music for a while. He worked very closely with Luther Vandross before uh-huh. he passed away, and and so and he's probably been on a lot of other albums that he's just played the bass, and you wouldn't even know that was him playing because he has this really distinct sound. But when he's playing for other musicians, he plays to fit their style. Mm. And, you know, I've watched them do a few workshops where he's talking and he has a piano player and a drummer and he, and he's just fascinating. You know, he's, he's a, he's, he's brilliant. And and as a musician, but he's also, a, and he, he plays bass clarinet um, oh, wow. and he's really good at it. Yeah. He, cool. And he's recorded. It. He's really, he's really good at it. And obviously he's toured all over the world doing this, but I just admire him as a person and, and what he's brought to, music and how he's always trying to uplift other musicians as well uh and giving back and teaching
0: yeah i love that well gerald thank you so much for being on getting work to work today you know this was a fantastic way to start my day and i'm just so grateful for your curiosities and how you've turned that into an awesome career
1: Excellent. Excellent. Well, I'm happy to be here. Anyone wants to get in touch with me, go to GeraldJLeonard.com. I'll send you a link that has a a dedicated landing page for the listeners, Um, but that's where they can go. And again, I'll I'll provide that link to you. But anyone wants to get in touch, I'd be happy to have a conversation and share more about what I'm doing.
0: Naturally, I loved the section of the interview where Gerald shared the best way to be more creative And his answer was to learn about other industries and other things. So the question I leave you with today is how can you push yourself to get outside of your comfort zone and even to go beyond your identity? As he said, the only way to coast is to go downhill. So pick something that you've been curious about for a while and begin to explore it. Maybe it's learning to play the drums or use 3D printers, make a souffle, or be a better listener. No matter what it is, look for videos on YouTube, find books to read, and then practice. Those areas alone will lead you to unimaginably creative places. Until next time, may creativity and curiosity fuel your life.